What's up, everybody? Welcome to Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. I am your host, Josh Dooley, and with me, as always, my co-host, my ride or die, my bad boy for life, he is Chuck Holmes. Chuck, you bad, bad boy. How are we feeling on this Sunday morning? I think it's officially fall for at least the morning time here in Columbus. Feeling pretty good. How are you doing over there? Uh, late night at the the Barleys and Hops Fest here in, in my local area. And I had a drink for uh, every point that the Buckeyes scored. So I'm feeling a little rough this week. Felt fine last week, week before, but this week I'm feeling a little rough. But, I, you know, I'm a gamer. I'm going to power through and uh, still give my A game this entire pod. Yeah, make sure you got that IV drip ready. And, yeah, that's probably a lot of drinks. If they were sips, you may have been fine. But uh, obviously coming to you after a week three victory for the Ohio State Buckeyes, 63-10 to 10, in impressive fashion over Western Kentucky. I would say this was the first game or the first time in the 2023 season that we got to see the Ohio State Buckeyes that we were expecting or hopeful for and we're really happy to see you know we had seen really good progress by players and we saw Kyle McCord take the reins of the quarterback position this that and the other but in totality the entire team I think played really well Chuck I honestly do was not a perfect performance and we'll get into some of those things later but really All bright spots for me. I don't know about you, Chuck. How are you feeling about the totality of the team? Really anything to nitpick this week? Yeah, that's it, right? We're nitpicking. There's no glaring weakness from this game. They came out, you know, you could say they started a little slow, but that's a a good offense, and it did take the defense a little bit to figure it out, but that's why it's a a four-quarter game. They came out, and once they they put the pedal to the metal – in the middle of the second quarter, like it was exactly what you wanted the Buckeyes to look like for two and a half full quarters of just absolute complete dominance. And it was fun to watch. It was, it was, it was relaxing to watch, you know, once they kind of at halftime, you could kind of take a breath and be like, yes, this is what we wanted this team to look like against an inferior opponent. We know this isn't every week, but when you have an inferior opponent, you have to be able to to drop the hammer on them at some point during the game and just make the game be irrelevant. The score is now out of reach, and they were able to do that by halftime this week, and it gave you a chance to just kind of watch the second half and enjoy it, and it was fun to watch. It's funny you bring that up because this is pretty well known, right? And it's probably talked about Amongst OSU fans, it's certainly talked about by non-OSU fans. We don't always have fun, even though we've got a great, (laughs) great, great football team and football program that is very successful. Like, it's not fun if Ohio State's not winning by a minimum of 14. And... You know, they outscored their opponents, I think it was, what, like 58 to 10, something like that the first two weeks. And yeah, it wasn't a whole lot of fun. And that just sort of speaks to 
how spoiled we are, myself included, you know, Chuck included, we're lumping ourselves in with that. But you're right. I think that this was a really fun game to watch when you're not chewing the the beds off your nails. You can I it frees you up to watch what you want to watch or who you want to watch, look at certain position groups. You know, like in this game Sure, I, I focused on Kyle McCord, but not nearly as much as I had the previous two weeks, right? It, I knew guys were sort of going to be open once we got into that second quarter. It seemed like he was on, so I didn't have to look at every single foot, every single step that he took. I didn't have to micromanage my own viewing for this game and go back and do a bunch of rewatches. I went back and watched a couple of things, but you know, we'll get to all of that. Chuck, again, an impressive 63 to 10 Ohio state victory, what we love to see, but I want to talk about just college football in general, in general right now, the national landscape you know, we haven't had a ton of marquee matchups. And then all of a sudden, next week, it's going to be all hell breaks loose, right? I think there's like seven, eight, nine ranked matchups right now, as these teams are currently ranked and projected, going to be just bananas. But it's been a sleepy first three weeks, I would say. For a lot of the top 10, top 15, top 20, again, Ohio State included. But yesterday was just sort of an odd, odd day. I think that most teams in the top 10 sort of played with their food for far too long. And this is what upsets us about Ohio State, right? Well, guess what? They're not the only team that this happens to or with. So, I just want to run through the top 10 real quick, or most of it. You know, number one, Georgia, they were down 14 to three at halftime against South Carolina. South Carolina is a solid team, but Georgia couldn't do anything on offense. Then they come out in the second half. They eventually win the game 24 to 14. They shut out South Carolina, but some definite grab ass going, going on for the first half of that game. Number two, Michigan. This is not to, you know, shit on them or anything. 14 to 6 at halftime. Bowling Green, not a great team. They lost their starting quarterback, I think, late first quarter. Florida State was up big at one point on the fighting Jeff Halfleys at Boston College. And Boston College made it close. 31 to 29 in the end. Boston College made a late run, a late surge, outscored the Seminoles 13 to 0 in the fourth quarter. Continue to go down the list here. Texas was tied with Wyoming going into the fourth quarter. Now they put up 21 in the last period, but still tie game going into the fourth. We know what Ohio State did. Penn State 16 to 7. At halftime, again, they pulled away over Illinois. Illinois' offense, oh my gosh, so dreadful. And we can talk about that maybe a later time. But they end up winning 13 to 30 to 13, sorry. Now, Washington, Notre Dame, you could say both handled business. 
Washington especially, they rolled 41-7 to over Michigan State. That game was over by halftime. Michael Penix Jr. threw for infinity yards. The Spartans did not step up. They weren't riled up or anything by the absence of Mel Tucker. They just got dog-walked dog there. Notre Dame, it more impressive than it looked in the beginning. 41-17 over Central Michigan, and then closing out the top 10, Alabama. And I'll start with them, and then Chuck, jump in on any of these other top 10 teams, or just tell me this is typical early season stuff. Alabama might not be a good football team. Inevitably, they're going to figure it out, probably. And I think they've got some real studs on defense. You know, Dallas Turner, Kool-Aid McKinstry, even... Caleb Downs has been solid for them as a true freshman. But they've got a massive, massive quarterback problem. They benched Jalen Milrow, started Tyler Buckner, the Notre Dame transfer. He was dreadful. Uh, And then they brought in the kid Simpson, redshirt freshman. Was okay. I think he was 5 for 9, 75 yards, touchdown. He did take five sacks which is another issue for Alabama. But I, I don't think they're a great football team. I certainly do not think that Tommy Reese is a good offensive coordinator. I mean, we saw that last year with Notre Dame. Notre Dame's offense sort of stunk. You can blame some of it on quarterback, right? You, Sam Hartman gets in there and, oh my gosh, they can do some things. But I don't think Tommy Reese was... A great hire for them. I don't know that he's just great at what he does. And then the quarterback position, man, it is it is rough. And I don't know what they do. Like I said, they will inevitably probably figure it out because they are the behemoth. If it were me personally, I would go with Jalen Milrow because at least he can run. He offers a, a dual threat skill set. But Chuck, talk to me about Alabama and then some of these other top 10 teams. What was yesterday? I think yesterday was kind of an indictment that there are no great teams this year. You know, anybody in the top, you you look at those top nine teams, and I, I even taking Alabama out of it, I think any of them could probably beat anybody else on a given Sun Saturday if they play to their potential. If Ohio State played like they did yesterday, they probably beat anybody in the top nine. Same with Washington. But if Michigan plays like that, they probably lose to. 10 teams, right? It, it, that part of it. And, and that is, uh, I wonder if some of it is so much change at some of these schools or in a lot of these cases, it's truly coming down the quarterback play. Like you look at Alabama. I don't think, I don't know that Tommy Reese is a bad offensive coordinator because he hasn't had a good quarterback in two years, right? Look at, he had Buckner last year. Like he wasn't, he was okay. This year, it looks like none of these guys are any good. You look at uh, Georgia, Carson Beck, we're not sure he's any good. He won the job, but who knows? Like, he could not – He Stetson Bennett's not walking through that door, everybody, and that's crazy to say, right? But that's, that's reality of, of the situation. You look at uh, – Texas, when you were through for 121 yards today, if your quarterback doesn't play well, you're going to struggle. So that's that's part of it. Aller didn't play great today. 
especially in the, the beginning of the game. So it has truly become a game of if your quarterback is not on the top of their game, you're going to struggle that week. And Kyle McCord didn't struggle this week, so the Buckeyes didn't struggle, right? Hartman uh, figured it out. Notre Dame put up 41. Penix threw for 470 yards, so Washington rolled. It's pretty obvious that we talk about in the NFL all the time, you, you have to have a franchise quarterback to win. It's the same in college now. You cannot win consistently. I know we bag on Bennett, Stetson Bennett, the last couple of years because he's 5'10", and he looks goofy, but he produced. He's 35 years old. He's 35 years old. Well, then that might be why he produced, right? He's <laughs> the experience. But he produced, and that's why Georgia won. Like, he's the reason they beat Ohio State last year. Not the defense. The def- their, their vaunted defense could not stop Ohio State. Their quarterback beat them. So look at the last couple of years when Alabama has been successful. It's because They've had two straight quarterbacks, three straight quarterbacks, that went in the first round in the top. Mac didn't go top 10, but the other two went top five. Like That's where they were winning. And that's Nick Saban, Mr. Defensive Back, go win with running game and defense. He's been doing it with quarterbacks. So if your quarterback doesn't perform, you're just not going to be a good team that week. And right now, there's no quarterback outside of Caleb Williams that's performing every single week like we think they should. And it shows it in some of these scores. That's a great point. I think maybe it opens us up to a little bit of a, a larger conversation. We don't have to spend a ton of time on it, but you talk about the the franchise quarterback. First of all, I think it's just crazy. You watch these games. I think every big school quarterback is a transfer at this point. It is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, yes, Kyle McCord is an exception. J.J. McCarthy is an exception. But you just look everywhere, man. Like, Jordan Travis is a transfer. Quinn Ewers technically a transfer. Michael Penix Jr. a transfer. Sam Hartman. Um, I'm just going down the list of top whatever. I don't think he's anything special. We saw that he's not. But Graham Mertz, a transfer. Bo Nix, a transfer, like on and on. Even some of the, I brought this up in in previous podcasts. You know, I watched some of the Wisconsin game, right? They pulled down on defense 143 interceptions. Davis Brin stinks. He wasn't good at Tulsa. He's in his sixth year, and he took a step down just to keep playing football, I guess, for whatever reason. Live the dream. Whatever. Um, The kid at Illinois, he threw four interceptions. Luke Altmaier wasn't good at Ole Miss. Like, I don't know why there's such a quarterback problem in college football. It's like teams and programs, they just can't find them. And so that's a big feather in the cap. And, you know, here comes the Ryan Day homer, the Ryan Day defender. That's a feather in his cap, though. Like, dude figures it out. He identifies the talent. He gets them to come to Ohio State. And, look, I'm not saying Kyle McCord is to that level. Yeah, he could turn around next week, throw four picks, and be awful. But Ryan Day has consistently figured this thing out. And to your point, Chuck, that is what gives you a chance. 
versus some of these other teams. You said it before the podcast. This, you know, yesterday, what we saw from Alabama was a message to certain Ohio State fans. This is what it looks like when you have a real quarterback problem. And so I want to give credit to you on that one. That's a good point. And so I, I think it just speaks to the larger problem, the larger issue, the larger topic. Like finding a quarterback and holding on to them is really, really hard. And so it's just, it's become this quarterback marketplace in college football, and it's sort of crazy. But I, I think that that is one of the things that you, you have to like about Ryan Day and having him at Ohio State. Even if you hate some of the other stuff, you've got to give him credit for that. And every year it feels like there is doubt about that. And I, I would be lying if I said I had didn't have doubt this year. It sure seems like McCord is projecting like we want him to. You know, he he has taken steps all three weeks. If he takes another step next week against Notre Dame, holy smokes, this team's cooking, right? Because he played really well this week. So even if he just maintains because of the competition jump, you're talking about a guy that can lead this team to a national championship if he continues to play like that. So it is impressive. I think it is a... Uh, and Ohio State fans in general are okay with this, but there is a uh, a group of them uh, on the far end of the scale that no matter what, don't want to hear this, but this team is going to be all right. And I think they're going to have moments where they look like a national championship contender. And the hope is the times that they don't, they can still hold on, i.e. like Georgia this week, like Michigan this week, like Texas this week hold on, still get the win, and fix whatever ails them, and that next week or two weeks or four weeks, whatever it may be, they can get back to being what they look like this week, which was uh, the Ohio State offense and defense, frankly, that we were hoping we would see against Indiana. Yeah, hopefully they look like the national championship contender in South Bend, in Happy Valley. Um, or, or maybe it's when Penn State comes here. I may have that mixed up, but the moments, right? They have to look like that team when it matters. And they might not, you know, like I'm not trying to preemptively make excuses and be like, oh, they were so good, but they just, they struggled this week or that. I'm not going to make those excuses, but we're going to start to see next week what this team is really like. My, my point though, and sort of bringing it back though, is Breathe. This goes for every fan base. Like, take a deep breath and realize that these early season games, they can get sort of wonky. They can get sort of weird. And you'll get the games where you're tied with Wyoming going into the fourth quarter. Like, man, what the hell's going on here? Or you'll get the games where Boston College is nipping at your heels. What the hell's going on here? Look, it happens, especially when you've got newness, not only at quarterback, but across the board. So, Chuck, before we transition, I will put you on the spot real quick, though. Is there a team in the top 10? I'll give you two options. One that maybe stands out more to you than some others, or is there a team that you're like, they're, they're fool's gold, they're not a top 10 team? Give me one of one, of one, one of either. Washington stands out to me. I think that offense is so damn dynamic that um, I, I think they have a legit shot to run the table and make it into the college football playoff. I don't know 
Alabama is the one for me. I just cannot. And I know it's Nick Saban, but their quarterback, like we talked about quarterback struggling in the other teams, their quarterback play is another step below everybody else in the top 10. That to me, it just, I don't know that he can overcome that lack of production. And especially in the SEC West, it's not like he's playing in the ACC Coastal and he gets uh, to run through those uh, that gauntlet. He's got to go still play LSU. He's still got to go play the lane train. Like he's got a he's got A and M still. This is going to be a challenging year for Nick Saban. I think they're even though they're only two spots apart in the the. Uh, polls currently, they could easily go in opposite directions uh, here over the next five or six weeks. That sort of sucks to hear because just the teams you picked, because I was tempted to go with both. I'll change it up a little bit, uh, although I'm with you. I think Washington looks awesome, <laughs> and I think their defense is better than they get credit for, too, but that offense is bananas. Um. I'm still going to say that Florida State, to me, seems real, seems back. I think that the game, they got up big. Jordan Travis got banged up. And so they sort of let their guard down, and that's why Boston College came back. So that's the team that still stands out to me as a new contender, if you will. But then I have to agree with you on Alabama. And the thing about Alabama, too, yes, they're struggling at quarterback, but look at their position groups, Chuck. Like, who's a guy? Who's a guy? You look at the running backs, I think they're both seniors. McClellan um, and the other kid, I think they're both seniors. They've just sort of been around the program. Maybe they were coveted recruits once upon a time, but it took them four years to really like come to prominence, I guess. Outside at wide receiver, I can't name a single guy. I can name some receivers that are elsewhere, you know, um, like JoJo Earl stands out to me just because I watched some of that TCU game, but like they don't have the Devontae Smith, the Jamison Williams that they stole from Ohio State, Jerry Judy, um, on and on and on and on. They don't have any guys. There's not a single player on that team skill player that I'm like, oh my gosh, that guy's such a stud. Maybe one will come sort of forward, but their leading receiver yesterday was CJ Dupree. Transfer tight end from Maryland, I think. Like, okay, and he had one catch for 45 yards. You can attribute some of that to the quarterback struggles, but I think they've got a real problem. Fortunately for them and their fans, we've seen them in the past, like the uh, like the six to three game against LSU, uh, a handful of years ago, a decade ago, whatever it was. They can win some games like that because Nick Saban and his guys know how to coach up defense. But I think they're in real trouble with you, Chuck. Let's go ahead and pivot. I think we sort of beat the top ten in, into the ground, and we were defending a little bit. We wanted to make us feel better about Ohio State, lumping them in with some others. But let's knock out an early break here. Let's get your salary paid here with some big-time ad reads. And we'll come <laughs> and we'll come right back at you guys.
Welcome back, everybody, to Hang Out in the Holy Land. For Chuck Holmes, I am Josh Dooley. And we're going to talk some Ohio State Buckeyes. That's why you all are here. That's why you've you found us on your favorite podcast app or platform. It's what we do. So Ohio State with a decisive 63-10 to victory yesterday over the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. A game that kicked off at 4 p.m., I had all sorts of issues with that. The most random sort of start time for a, a game of this ilk, if you will. But top to bottom, left to right, diagonal corner to diagonal corner. Ohio State played really, really well, I think, Chuck. And I would say that I was particularly impressed by the defense, but we usually save that for for second, save it for last. So let's start with the offense, Chuck. And it all starts with Kyle McCord. This was his first week as the official QB1 at Ohio State. And pretty much from the get-go, it seemed like he was much more comfortable, much more confident. He finished the game 19 for 23, 318 yards, three touchdowns. He did have a, a fumble on a sack that, you know, it was at least 50% on him. We It was absolutely a lack of awareness on his part. He needed to get rid of the ball. But outside of that and maybe one other throw, there was a third down early, wide open, and he just sailed the piss out of the ball. But then he got the completion the next play on fourth down. And you're going to have a missed throw. So, you know, for all intents and purposes – Kyle McCord looked great yesterday. He was finding the guys when he needed to find them. He was waiting for a Mechagbuka to get open on sort of a double move. He knew when to throw to Marvin Harrison Jr. on the deep ball. He didn't wait too long. He let it rip. Just, I don't know, man. It looked like he had a real aura of confidence around him. He let it rip. And again, he was protected pretty well, too. So, I would call this, I'm not going to give him an A-plus because of the level of competition, but this was a strong A game from Kyle McCord, and in my opinion, the best that he has looked so far. Did you see uh, what they got Ryan Day on camera after he missed that one? And not he, real he happy. Said, not real happy. No, you could read his lips. He said, wide bleeping open. He was pissed, and it was. It was wide open. That, that's a completion he's got to make. And I, I agree with you. There was plays. Now, that, that fumble was – that was that one he's got to clean up because that was yep. four or five seconds. you got to get rid of the ball. And I acknowledge I, – I, I watched it a few times. I agree. I think I agree with him not throwing it to Harrison. That ball was supposed to go to Harrison. But he was waiting for Ibuka. Well, and the backside cornerback bailed. Mm. And he didn't have him. I think if he, I think Harrison was going to the post and the backside corner bailed and there, I don't know if it was the nickel or linebacker did a great job of jumping a Buka. He came across and they, they played that Western Kentucky to their credit, played that play really well. At that point, you got to go. It's got to be something else. And he was waiting to see if they could maybe outrun the defenders and you just, you, you can't. So that was a really, really bad one. But besides that, like he was, he was on his game, and this is exactly what you were looking for, right? 
be accurate, push the ball downfield, don't commit any turnovers besides the the fumble. And with that, it gives him an opportunity because he was pushing the ball downfield. It opened up all kinds of things in the run game and magically the run game started to work as well. Crazy how that works sometimes. The more I watch Kyle McCord, the more I think, and I know that Ryan Day likely, he's not likely to do this, him and Brian Hartline. McCord seems like a guy that could sit back there and go like four or five wide and just tear apart like some short stuff, some intermediate stuff, and then take the occasional shot. Like he's a guy, I think he wants to be a point guard, you know, and that's, that can be a great thing. And great quarterbacks essentially are great point guards. Now, you've got your playmakers. I'm trying to think of in the NFL, like Josh Allen, in my opinion, is a playmaker. He's not necessarily a point guard. But Kyle McCord can be a great point guard provided he's protecting his guys get open. And all of that happened yesterday. I think he stepped into everything he needed to step into. He can... He didn't really need to yesterday, but he's got some arm angle stuff. I thought his footwork was pretty good whenever I was paying attention. Again, I didn't need to the entire time, but he looked really good. And just sticking with the quarterbacks for a second, I liked he was showing some leadership, you know, before the game, during the game, and then late in the game when Devin Brown threw an absolute seed to Cornell Tate for a touchdown, the first guy to catch him on the sideline was Kyle McCord. And he patted his chest, and he sort of hyped him up. That's what you want to see from your starting quarterback. You want to see a leader, and it seems like Kyle McCord is becoming more and more comfortable being that guy. Let's stick with that for a second, though. What about that Devin Brown pass, man? Like, where was that when he was in the competition? He needed that a couple weeks ago. Maybe just resigning himself and and being in a game that was a blowout, just let him kind of let it let it fly. But I, I want to go back to Kyle McCord's leadership, and I am going to be a little critical of it because it is the year 2023, and when they were dancing before the game, your boy hit the whip and the nay-nay what in the hell how what was is he 36 like <laughs> come on man there's nothing from the last four years that you could have you go watch some youtube kyle you got we got to update the dance moves because you're getting pounded on social media for the decisions you make to get out there in front of your teammates and make so i appreciate your willingness to lead we just need you leading in a little fresher direction please please there are absolutely some things to clean up there if it's just not your skill set like (laughs) look some guys can't dance that's okay if you don't have it you don't have it then maybe embrace the absurdity you know like um beat the beat up or just do something silly to sort of cover up the fact that maybe it's just not your thing and that's okay but yeah it is sort of funny watching those clips cj could do it Stroud could hold his own during that pregame routine. Nope. Nobody could outdance Justin Fields, though. I mean, he he oh. was uh, he was a first team All American pregame dancer. And so I think that that's unfortunately for Kyle McCord been passed down. Like he has to keep doing it. He probably talked before the season. He's like, guys, it's not my thing. And they're like, look, man, it's tradition. You just got to keep doing it. Um, but that Brown pass, in case you sort of gave up early or had some things to do. He had a really nice touchdown pass, a long ball to Carnell Tate in the corner of the end zone on a double move. 
probably the best throw he's had this year. Was in garbage time. Didn't really matter, but good for him. Looking at the rest of the offense real quick, I'll just look at the running backs. Travion Henderson looked really good again. He is absolutely the the one back, the starting running back. I think that that's fair to say. It was pretty divvied up. He's always seen the first snap, but 13 carries for 88 yards, two touchdowns, had a long one of 21. Chip Trianum also had uh, a decent game primarily due to his 40-yard touchdown run in the second quarter. That was a nice run. That was well blocked. Maybe we'll give those guys some credit here in a minute. But running game looked good. I do want to put a pin in it for a second here. Chuck, what do you think is going on with Mayan Williams? Mayan Williams, five carries for 23 yards in this game. Did not make an appearance until the fourth quarter. He was getting garbage time carries. Really strange in my opinion. I don't know who I would like necessarily put him in the lineup over. Especially because Chip Trianum's looked really good and explosive. But man, like Mayan Williams was our guy last year. And even a bit the year before. Do you think that he has just been supplanted and lost his job? Do you think that... He's potentially still banged up. Do you think that they are maybe keeping him fresh for the Big Ten schedule? What do you think is going on with Mayan Williams right now? No, I think it's he just got supplanted by by Chip Traynham. And I know he was the guy last year, but but Travion Henderson was banged up for a lot of that. So that's he was kind of uh, RB1 by default. He well, The plan was always he was going to be two or maybe one B. And I think Chip Traynham's just kind of taken that spot from him. Part of it is probably his blocking and his ability to I, I I firmly believe his experience on at linebacker has probably helped him become a better running back. Uh there is something for that. So if he was banged up, I don't think they'd even play him in garbage time. They would just want him to get healthy because they still have Evan Pryor. I mean Dallin Hayden didn't get a carry this game. Uh, Evan Pryor did get a couple carries, but you would just give those guys carries if he was truly still banged up at the end of this one. I think he's just the third running back. And frankly, you don't run enough plays or you don't run the ball enough here to justify getting three guys in the rotation. I mean, Travion Henderson looked really good and he still only got 13 carries. And Chip Trainum looked pretty good, busted one for 40 yards. He still only got five carries. So I just don't think there's enough carries to supplant. This isn't Urban's offense where you can get you're going to run the ball 40 times at any given day even when the running game is working you're just not going to th- run it 40 times with Ryan Day calling play so unfortunately uh I don't know that it's going to hurt him frankly it might help to keep the miles off of him and if somebody does get banged up cuz here's the thing he has two or three good games say somebody gets banged up and he comes in the NFL is going to be like oh yeah like he he's what we want and he's still going to get drafted where they think he's going to get drafted so I think he bides his time. He's going to get some opportunities as this season rolls. Yeah, if you didn't say it, I was going to. Mayan Williams is going to have his moment or his moments. It's just a matter of time. But yeah, unfortunately, I think that Chip Trianum is just the bigger, faster version of Mayan Williams. You know, he's 5'11", 2... He's listed at 5'11", 233. Dude's a tank. And so is Mayan Williams, but he's more of the round version. You know, he's the compact tank. <laughs> Chip Trainum's a, a linebacker, you know, and that's sort of what he played. Granted, he was a running back at Arizona State, but he's got 
just, you know, extreme size for a running back. Outside, wide receivers, tight end, like, you know, those guys feasted yesterday. They really did. Marvin Harrison Jr. made it look easy again. And guess what? It is pretty easy for him. Five catches for 126 yards and a touchdown, including a 75-yard bomb in the second quarter. I don't know what Western Kentucky was doing on that long play. I think the corner tried to hand it off to the safety. They, they sort of bracketed him, but only for three yards, and that safety was toast. Like It was over immediately. McCord put it on him. Great deep ball. Had a couple shorter catches. Emeka Ibuka, pretty quiet for stretches of the game, and then boom, second quarter. Back-to-back touchdowns. He had four for 57 and those two scores. Cade Stover, look, I know some of our land-grant brethren and and sistren. I don't know if that's a word. But some of our colleagues beat him up for the blocking. Whatever. It's fair. He's not Gronk. But five catches for 90 yards. That's 10 catches for 109. Or no. 10 catches for 188 yards. The last two weeks for Cade Stover. So, look, he's putting up stats. He's putting up yards. He can make some run after the catch. Like, he's he's turned into a weapon for them. And it seems like he might be on his way to topping his numbers from last year. And also, let's give credit to Carnell Tate. He had a really good catch there that we talked about earlier in the corner of the end zone. Two for 40 and a score. These were these wide receivers were schemed open, and when they weren't, they got open with ease for the most part. And we probably expected that, <clears throat> but just a good game from all the skill position guys. Did anyone stand out to you, Chuck, or was this sort of what you've been expecting for three weeks, two and a half weeks, whatever it is? Yeah, this is exactly what you hoped for, right? You hoped for. Marvin Harrison to show he's the most physically dominant uh, wide receiver in the country. You wanted to show that you had depth for days at the same position. You wanted the year of the tight end to finally rear its ugly head out there. And you wanted the running backs to get some chunk plays. That's exactly what the offense should look like. And shockingly, because of that, I know they had some defensive help, but 63 points on the board. Uh, you know, part of that defensive help was because the offense built such a big lead and Western Kentucky had to kind of get crazy there at the end. For sure. Before we switch over to defense, Chuck, we've spent some time, just a wee bit of time, bashing Josh Jimmy Simmons and really the offensive line as a whole. I think they were pretty good yesterday. Granted, level of competition and all that, And for what it's worth, I I can't put it on one individual, but the left side of the line was at least 50% of the cause or whatever for that strip sack. But I thought it was probably their best game. The pass pro has consistently been there. Strip sack notwithstanding. Level of competition notwithstanding. And look, Indiana... They hung with Louisville yesterday, gave up 21 points. I think that defense might end up being better than we sort of realized or thought week one. But again, you know, Ohio State should have blown them out. Offensive line looked pretty good. There are things to clean up. I think that the concerns are probably still the concerns. Uh, 
but instead of a seven, I'm at like a five. What was your impression or evaluation of the offensive line play yesterday? Yeah, the line as a whole played well. I think the problem is, is you're, you're right. Simmons is still struggling and he's your left tackle. And it's really hard to hide your left tackle being your worst lineman. And right now he is. I mean, there's there's just there's really nothing you could show me or tell me that would tell me he's not. I know as we were watching yesterday, uh, you and I were were texting back and forth plays. And on that touch, like the touchdown run that Travion had in the first half, like Kate Stover literally pushed him out of the way because he was in the wrong spot as he was coming across. And the I, I Brock Heward is so bad. And he completely covered that up as he called, like, he was like, here comes the uh, the tight end across. And he never mentioned that he literally pushed the lineman out of his way to get to where he needed to go. But stuff like that, it, it, it doesn't look like it's all physical. And to me, that's almost more concerning than if it's just he's getting blown off the ball because you could kind of scheme around that. But if he can't handle the scheme, what what are they going to do? So uh, next week's a big test. I mean, he uh, he and the rest of the line are going to have to take another step. I agree with you. Every week has been better. Well, they got to do that. We talked about Kyle McCord could maintain and we would probably uh, see some really positive results from the offense. The line can't do that. The line's got to take another step and improve again for them to be able to handle a Notre Dame defense that is better than anything they've seen so far. Yeah, and just to sort of circle back around and, and close it on the Simmons conversation, look, I don't want to beat the guy up. <clears throat> I think you're right. I think it's more figuring it out mentally because physically, like, he has good reps too. They're fewer and far between, but when he does, like, if he gets his hands on somebody, he's going to put him into the ground. Like, he is a physical specimen and a good athlete, but – I would say he has more average reps than good reps and more poor reps than you want to see, period. So not willing to give up. I mean, look, at this point, I don't think Ohio State can switch it up. If they were going to, this would have been the week to try something new. So I think that they continue to try and scheme around him, plan around him, and hopefully he just continues to stack good reps and eventually get to where Ohio State needs him to be. On the other side of the ball, I think Ohio State's defense may have actually been the star of the game, the standouts with an S of the game. Give up 10 points to a Western Kentucky team that was overmatched, but Western Kentucky is sort of overmatched anytime they play some of these big schools. And they're still the highest scoring team since, you know, 2020 or whatever the stats are. Um, they led the entire FBS in passing yardage last year. They've got a quarterback who has been there, done that. And Ohio State's defense played really well yesterday. I think across the board, we can have conversations about position groups, but Austin Reed for Western Kentucky was 21 for 37, 207 yards, one touchdown, one pick. The running game, they sort of did enough 
which is what you and I talked about preview pod, right? They, they'll do enough to try and keep Ohio State honest. As a team, they had 33 carries for 80 yards. Not a good average, but, you know, you take out a nine-yard sack, uh, a zero-yard carry for Malachi Corley on a reverse. The actual carries looked a little bit better, but Ohio State's defense in this game created a little bit more pressure. Not as much as we wanted to see, but the defensive line, and even with some blitzing, they created a little bit of pressure. Linebackers were where they needed to be. A team like Western Kentucky can really beat you up in the middle of the field and in short yardage. They weren't able to do that. Steel Chambers had an interception. Tommy Eichenberg led the team in tackles. The linebackers did a good job. And the secondary, secondary looks good, man. That is what I'm really, really excited about. This was their first real test. And I think it could have been feast or famine. There was a scenario in which Western Kentucky puts up like 325 through the air, maybe scores 21, 24 points, something like that. And they didn't. You know, Denzel Burke looks outstanding right now. He broke up two passes, forced a fumble. Davison Igbenosin, I think he's a bit more of a gambler because I don't think he's maybe as fast as at, or as quick as Burke, but he's gambled. And your boy likes to hit. My yes. man loves to lay the wood, and I, I, I love it. I love watching him come up and attack guys that aren't his man and go. My man's head is going on the ball, and he's trying to pop it out every time. I love it. But he's still, and on top of it, he's still, he's not missing tackles because of it. He's hitting and he's attacking, but he's doing it the right way. And he he's going to be a stud these next couple years. I'm in complete agreement. I think that, like I said, he's a bit more of a gambler, but I think it's by design. I think it's his sort of strategy. And yeah, he's physical. He brings a different dynamic, I think, than we've seen, at least in recent years, from that cornerback position for Ohio State. Jordan Hancock played a lot of the slot. Granted, he had a one rough series. He sort of guessed wrong or was just in the wrong position twice, gave up a big play. But outside of a series, really, Jordan Hancock played pretty well. And he is versatile. We talked about that preseason. He was most likely to be the one that gets used in different ways. And he has been, he was. Whether we see him on the field a lot every week, I honestly don't know. But I feel good about what he brings to the field. Because he is, I think Jordan Hancock is what we wanted Sean Wade to be. You know what I mean, Chuck? Like Sean Wade was great in the slot. Couldn't hold his own outside. Jordan Hancock can do both. So I think Jordan Hancock is a a really good chess piece. Safeties, maybe not tested a ton. But Chuck, you were telling me, Josh Proctor, you were scared to death that he was getting matched up in some of these one-on-one scenarios and situations. Held his own. Josh Proctor, if he's guided in the right direction, if the coordinates are on the missile... He's a heat seeker. Now, if he guesses wrong or gets out of position, 
he also might be 10 yards behind the field or behind the play. But if you can point him in the right direction, he's played really well in his two games this year. Lathan Ransom, for the most part, where he was when he needed to be. So I was most impressed by the secondary. But we're talking defense. Start wherever you want to, Chuck, and give me your sort of standouts and what stood out to you most in totality in general about this defense. I I actually think Josh Proctor stood out the most in the sense that he was put in a position that nobody outside of that team believes he could be (laughs) successful in. And he was. He held up really, really well. And I have not been... Uh, You know, I am not president of the Josh Proctor fan club. I think he has struggled at times uh, in this same position. So kudos to him because my man handled business in pass in one on one coverage a ton yesterday. It was it was really impressive for what he was able to do. Uh, One of the other things that I'm really happy to see is, you know, they put Jordan Hancock in the slot and Jim Doles traditionally. His slot guy is a safety, and mm-hmm. that's yep. what it is here as the starter, right? Sonny Styles is the starter, but he's willing to make those those adjustments, and he realized, hey, this is a game for three cornerbacks because they're mm-hmm. going to have – somehow they had 22 receivers on the field every play. I don't know how they pulled it off, but that's a, a – this is a system that you need to have the three re, uh, three corners on the field, and he made that adjustment. And the guys were able to play in those positions, like for Hancock to be able to slide in there and be a serviceable to really good slot corner is huge. It just it opens up the possibilities for when you get ahead or get behind, you can mix the match personnel or versus different teams. I don't think there's you're going to see him against Notre Dame as well, because there are going to be times that Hartman, they're going to want to spread out and see if they can handle it. So that part of it was was refreshing to see that they're willing to kind of bend the rules of the defense to fit the scheme or to fit the players in that are going to be most successful. I I couldn't be more uh, excited about where the uh, nine in the middle going to the back are going. I think the part that we still need to see something out of and it's really concerning going into this week is we're still not seeing pass rush out of the defensive ends. And I get it. Western Kentucky throws the ball quick, but guess what? So does Notre Dame. Guess what? So does Penn state. So does Michigan. So does Ohio state. (laughs) Everybody throws the ball fast. So you got to figure out how to get to the quarterback fast. And right now, Ohio state isn't. I know they brought up during the broadcast that on the sideline that Larry Johnson was getting on the defensive ends about getting off the line faster. And if he's got to say that during a game, that is really concerning to me. Like if you are not playing fast during the game, what is going on? Are they not capable? Are they thinking too much? I can't imagine Western Kentucky's run game scared them so much that they were hesitant. But was that what they schemed and it, it, it cost them? Whatever that problem was where they felt like they weren't getting off the line fast enough is something that they've got to address quick because they are going to have to hit Sam Hartman this week 
to beat Notre Dame. And they got 37 shots yesterday. And Mitchell Melton's the only he, – he's got the first sack of a defensive end, and we're three games into the season. And we thought we had two All-American defensive ends potentially that are just flat. Like, they're there, and they're disruptive to a point, but bottom line are not actually making plays. See, Chuck, you had to go and piss on our campfire. But well, there's got to be one thing that we talk yeah. about. I mean, it got to be one. It was inevitable because it's a legitimate concern, along with some of the offensive line play. I just don't know what it is with this defensive line, this defensive front, because, I mean, Tyreek Williams had seven tackles yesterday, including a sack. That's rare, but Michael Jr. wasn't really sort of like omnipresent out there. Jack Sawyer continues to not give you much, in all honesty. Granted, he was around a couple of plays. His get-off seems slow to me. Um, I don't know what his pass rush move or moves are, if he's got them. Like, I think he's a he's an athlete, you know, but... You and I were texting about this. You know, he was like a, a D1, potential D1 basketball player coming out of high school. And they may have messed him up, man. Like, he's probably put on 20, 30 pounds, whatever it is. And I think he lacks the athleticism that he once had. Because, look, spring game, not a real sort of indicator of who's good, who's going to be successful, things like that. But Jack Sawyer was like the talk of the spring game last year and the year before. And he was going up against, what, probably Dewan Jones, Thayer Munford. He may have gone against Paris Johnson Jr. for a rep or two or whatever it was in last year's spring game. <clears throat> but he was able to figure it out then. And we were like, man, this guy's definitely going to be it. They put him back at the position that he seemed destined to play this year, and he really hasn't given you much. Uh, he did have three t three total tackles yesterday, half a TFL, but not very disruptive in my opinion. Whereas, I do have to give JT Tuimoloau some credit. He was pretty disruptive. Or when I was watching, he was pretty disruptive. He was only credited with one assisted tackle, but he got in the neighborhood of the quarterback a handful of times. He had a nasty spin move that he put on Western Kentucky's left tackle. And so I thought that that may have been his best game as a pass rusher. Remember, he was really good against the run week one. I just think he's a balanced guy. Ohio State has to find some real pass rushers. And I think that's just becoming harder and harder to come by. Like... Those Von Miller types, they don't grow on trees. But Ohio State has to find at least one who is in the the neighborhood, the arena, the same breath as a guy like that. Someone with some bend. Somebody with some real get-off. Like Mitch Melton, for whatever it's worth, it was against backups, but he got to the quarterback quick. And that's the first time we've really seen that from the defensive end position. 
I'm also still holding out hope for Kenyatta Jackson. He was in there quite a bit yesterday, only credited with one tackle. I think he can be that guy. What I want to see, I think, from this defensive end position is rotation. I used to say that you got to leave to leave Tuimolo out and Sawyer in there. I'm sort of done with that. I think I need to see more Kenyatta Jackson Jr., more Mitch Melton, and more Caden Curry because the other two just aren't giving you what they what you need, and so they don't they don't have to be out there ninety percent of the time. Maybe they improve, but you got to start rotating some fresh bodies. Maybe that's how they get a pass rush. Yeah, I mean, there there's something too. If you only play fifty percent of the snaps, you can give max effort every single play, and maybe that's part of it. Maybe they are conserving energy. If they are, uh, shame on everybody involved for not noticing. Oh yeah, not yeah. Having having a the wherewithal to make that change already, but at some point we don't need all of them to be Dallas Turner, Will Anderson, uh, Von Miller, but. You got it combined. Like you've got to get somebody to the ground. Like I don't need to see Jack Sawyer rack up twelve sacks this year. We were hopeful, but we do need to see him and uh, JT. I don't know, maybe get some sacks. Like actually hit it. Like there's to the point. I, when was the last time Jack Sawyer actually hit a quarterback? Like that's his main job is to get after the quarterback and he doesn't even hit him. So And he still, be- Chuck, he still has more career sacks than JT Tuimoloa. Like I don't want to beat up on that guy. I think that <clears throat> Tuimoloa especially is just sort of a a well balanced defensive end. Dude's got like five career sacks. Like at some point there's gotta be some production. So I didn't mean to cut you off, but I was like to your point, though, like these guys just they're never getting. Right. I agree. You know, there is uh, JT Tuimolau is living off of that Penn State game. They brought it up multiple times yesterday. They bring it up on local talk radio every single time he's brought up. And it was one game and it was a year ago. Like it was a unbelievable game. It's almost more crazy that he had that game. Because he's there's been nothing before and nothing after to actually like justify it. Penn State should actually be a they should be ashamed that they allowed him to do that. I want to hit you with a stat. I want you to take a guess. <clears throat> this is not indicative of overall performance. We know the sack numbers aren't great. Take a guess at how many solo tackles JT Tuimoloau has in his career. At Ohio State. So he is, what's he, 20, is he 30 games into his career? Probably. He doesn't have 30, I would say. He doesn't have one a game. He has 27 solo tackles and six sacks in roughly, you know, 30-ish games or something like that. Granted, year one is almost sort of thrown out, which is why I want to give him credit well, sometimes. he played a lot. He you did say that, but he played a lot of snaps. So if you're playing snaps at Ohio State, you got to produce. I don't care what year you are. Yeah. So maybe he maybe he's only 25. So he might be one tackle a game because I don't think he played every game that freshman year, and he only played 13 last year. But still, one tackle a game is not. That's not it. That's that's not what you need to be successful long term on the line. It's not. They have to get it figured out because now Western Kentucky doesn't give up sacks. 
They had given up zero sacks going into that game, and they only gave up, what, one, two, whatever it was. So, to their credit. But next week, they're going to go into Notre Dame, and Joe Alt, who's a freaking mountain at left tackle, 6'8", 325, likely All-American, if you can't get to the quarterback against Western Kentucky, even if they're getting the ball out fast, what are you going to do against Joe Alt? You know, are you just going to drop nine and say we're giving up on the pass rush? That probably ain't going to work either. So they got to get in the lab this week. And in five, six days time, whatever it is, figure out how the hell that they are going to get to the quarterback to get to Sam Hartman. So I I, I don't want to beat up on the defense too much because... On the flip side, Western Kentucky, uh, it's the fewest points they had scored since the start of the 21, 2021 season in 10. Um, this is the fewest points Ohio State has given up through three games in close to 50 years. And, you know, we're looking at 20 through three games. Even yesterday, the touchdown that Ohio State gave up shouldn't have ever happened. That was after the fumble that Ohio State just couldn't fall on somehow, miraculously, and then Western Western Kentucky punched it in. So they could have held Western Kentucky to three, to six, to something like that. Did Denzel Burke have Crisco on his jersey? I, I don't know how that ball slipped out from underneath him. I, I guess he's good. I know he fell right on it, but he's a little guy. It's not like it should have. He's not. He wasn't dropping three hundred pounds on it to to pop it out. So he had the opposite of stickum. I think I've heard Bill Belichick talk about like they, or maybe it was former Patriots. They would practice basically like in a puddle or like with hoses pointed at the ball, fumble recoveries. Maybe Ohio State needs to to work on that, but it's hard to really nitpick at this defense through three games. It really is. We can talk about the pass rush. You can argue that in the first two weeks, they didn't really have much of an opportunity, and Western Kentucky got the ball out really quickly. So those are, if you want to defend them, and I will to a certain extent, there are defenses to be made, arguments to be made, but they've given up 20 points. And that's a, a big step from what we saw last year. And yesterday could have went sideways. There was a part of me that was concerned. I was like, man, if they get lit up, then I'm fearful of that week four game. And they didn't get lit up. They acquitted themselves quite well, in my opinion, against a team that can really put up some points. So kudos to them. Chuck, I'm surprised we've gone an hour on Western Kentucky, but we have, but we're still not out of here. Uh, we forgot about winners, losers, and fantasy MVPs last week. I told the fine folks listening that we were going to do that on a weekly basis. So, damn it, we're going to get back to it before we get out of here. Chuck, let's start with a winner or two. Who do you have or what position group do you have from yesterday? Give me some winners or a winner. The secondary was a winner for me, and 
this is an easy one, but Kyle McCord was a winner for me being able to kind of cement what everybody knew. He looked like QB one and he played like QB one. I want to look for another then. And I guess I'll go Travion Henderson continuing to look good. Only one reception, but he's getting some at least looks out of the backfield. I like that. He is a he can be a dual threat. I truly believe that. So I will go with Travion Henderson as my winner, in addition to yours, Chuck, because I think you hit the other two spot on. Losers. And that's a harsh term, but we're gonna find some lo- losers of the game. They're not losers in life. Everyone's, you know, Skittles and Rainbows. We love them all. But Chuck, pick a loser or two from yesterday. I think you know, and I, he he played. He had a really good touchdown throw. But Devin Brown was the loser yesterday because it kind of confirmed, like Kyle McCord confirmed, he's QB Interesting. one. Interesting. Devin Brown. Yeah. Devin Brown is QB two now, and and he. You would hope he didn't want McCord to play bad because he's a team guy. But if McCord played bad yesterday it opens up the competition again and it's just it's it's shut it's closed and barring injury uh Devin Brown will be QB2 for the foreseeable future that's an interesting one but you're right like we didn't want to see that as Ohio State fans but yeah if McCord had thrown a pick and was struggling to cross 200 yards then it's like oh I got a chance you're right it may not be anybody really close to him because maybe they're all in on the team but there's somebody in Devin Brown's family that was openly rooting against Kyle McCord yesterday. Could have been a cousin, could have been an uncle. <laughs> somebody somewhere is not the good person that Devin Brown is, and they were rooting against him being successful. Absolutely. For my loser, I got to say Jack Sawyer because JT Tuimoloau was at least disruptive. Like I said, he got near the quarterback a handful of times. And he showed you that he's got a move or two somewhere. Jack Sawyer's just not giving me anything. And I still have hope for him. We've seen it in spring games and these one-off performances. But if that's all you're getting, then give me something else. I think Jack Sawyer has to be better if Ohio State wants to get to where they want to be. And as a bonus loser... Ohio State's return game sucks. It's awful, man. Awful. Awful. And like, I know people want to blame Parker Fleming, and maybe it maybe it should be attributed to him, but I know Emeka Ibuka has some wiggle to him. I know he's a dynamic athlete. He's not giving you much. Xavier Johnson, love the guy to the end of the world. He's not giving you anything. There's there have to be some athletes and some capable, at least kick return. Punt return, I get. You know, that's a different dynamic. That can get a bit dangerous. But as a kick return, I mean, they tried Chip Tranum last year. Maybe that was a precursor to him being like running back two or one B, but he wasn't any good as a kick returner either. Like, give me Brandon Ennis. Actually, give me Jaden Ballard. Jane Ballard is one of the fastest guys on the team. He's not getting burned as a wide receiver. Put him back there because this return game stinks. Uh, we have um, have seen uh, some colleagues that are very opinionated about the idea of having a full-time special teams coordinator. I'm coming and around to it. I think I, I, 
maybe I am too. Uh, and, and maybe it's a, a conversation about the position or maybe it's a conversation about the person holding the position. But if it's going to be a full time position, it's got to be a position that or it's got to be a part of the team that actually makes a impact on the, the game. And they're currently not. You know, you go back to the the glory days of Urban Meyer coaching special teams himself. And you talk about Jim Trestle and how important special teams for him. His favorite play was the punt. But right now it's not a focus, but they have a position for it. So if it's not going to be a focus, great. Let's put that somewhere else. Let's let somebody just do it as a part time and let's maybe coach up another position a little bit better or fill a hole somewhere else on the coaching staff. If it's not going to be something that's going to contribute positively to a Buckeye win ever. (laughs) The only thing that would make me feel better about, you know, Parker Fleming having this let's call it high profile position and and all that good stuff is if he was just secretly like, um, like the Tommy Eichenberg whisperer, like if it came out or like it leaked out, it was like, (laughs) look, Tommy hates Jim Knowles. He doesn't talk to James Laurinaitis, but he really hits it off with Parker Fleming. He's the only one that can get through to him, which I know is not the case, but that's about the only thing that would make me feel better. Chuck, let's close it with fantasy MVPs. If you were playing college fantasy football, which is becoming more and more popular, actually, I didn't get to draft a team this year. Kyle McCord would have been my first round, actually second rounder behind Marvin Harrison Jr., but who was or who were your fantasy MVPs yesterday for Ohio State? You're going to, this is going to make you smile. Kate Stover was a fantasy MVP for you to get five and 90 out of a tight end. Like him getting a touchdown would have made him a, like a top tight end, you know, tight ends don't produce that well in college. So he was one. And then even though he only caught four balls, I mean, Abeka Buka scored two touchdowns. That's, that's big time. You don't get a lot of production and still get those 18, 19, 20 points out of somebody like him. That's big time. So mine were going to be, or mine are, Trevion Henderson, 13 for 88, two touchdowns. He also had a catch for 27 yards. And then I'm glad you didn't take my sleeper. Not every fantasy league drafts or implements defenses, but Ohio State's defense, baby. I mean, that was a 20-point outing for their defense. Two defensive touchdowns. Yeah. Yeah. Two touchdowns, you know, handful of turnovers, only one or two sacks, but that Ohio State defense gave you about 20 points yesterday if you drafted them. So they were my second fantasy MVP. I think that's going to do it for us, Chuck. It seems like we do this every week. Wow, we went 60, 70 minutes on uh, a lower tier team or opponent or game, which maybe means we're going like three hours next week after Notre Dame. Hopefully not. I'm not on that Joe Rogan plan, but a lot of good stuff to talk about this week. A lot of positive takeaways, and that's what we finally wanted to see. I think the next week is going to be very interesting. I don't know how I feel. It's going to take me a couple of days to get my prediction together, but it gets real next week. And so Chuck and I will be coming out with at you with a preview pod 
on Wednesday. It'll go out Wednesday. And looking forward to it, partner. So until then, you know, that's going to do it for Chuck and I. We will be coming back at you on Wednesday, our usual time, our usual day, for a preview pod of the big game against Notre Dame in South Bend. It's going to be a wild one. And I'm going to have to sort through some feelings. Not sure what my prediction is going to be, but I am very much looking forward to it. As always, we are looking forward to hearing from you guys. Please like, rate, review, and subscribe to the pod. We love all the interaction. Hit us up on social. Send us some emails. But that's going to do it for us this week. For Chuck Holmes, I am Josh Dooley. This has been Hangout in the Holy Land. And until next time, go Bucks.